1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
0: If you like our show, you're going to love Under Review on Podcast One, presented by Bet Online. Get the odds, news, and insights from real industry insiders. This isn't your typical schlocky pick show. Get the real trends and info with your host, Damon D. Download new episodes of Under Review, presented by Bet Online every week. On Apple Podcast
1: and Podcast One. The May 1st edition of the PFF forecast, we are going to take a big, long look at the draft. We have some of our favorite trades, some of our favorite picks, which ones actually moved the win totals in any way, shape, or form. We've got a little Monday night football discussion, and then we're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Let's rock. We have to start with this because it just came out hot off the presses. In fact, that's why we're doing the podcast early. Boog is in the booth. How excited are you for Tess, Boog, and Salt? Uh,
0: pff, Lisa, <laughs> Lisa Salt. Lisa, Lisa Salt are clearly yeah. the best person in that group, by the way, by a country mile. But uh, <laughs> I can't say uh, I'm. I can't say that I am upset that there will be no. Uh,
1: ambulance chasing on Monday nights this year. Are you surprised that this was the move? Like, what is this? I'm I'm actually very curious about this from a broadcasting standpoint. Like, what does this say to you about ESPN? What does this say to you about the television landscape for football as a whole? I'm curious.
0: Uh, Well, it's tough because, like, we, you know, we basically get to help out, you know, Uh, one of the more progressive, one of the better uh, broadcasts as in Sunday Night Football. Um, But, you know, ESPN it kind of looks like they're reeling a little bit, right? Because, you know, yesterday it it came out that ESPN, the magazine was no longer going to be anything. Um, So, uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm not actually, like, particularly surprised but but it's certainly
1: notable. It's I was trying to think of how they got to this point. So you'd assume they said, okay, who would we like to get in the booth? And it was probably Peyton Manning. Maybe there was a coach out there. And I've heard like Bill Cowher's name thrown around, but you've got to figure what this says to me is they went after Peyton Manning and they basically said, we're either going to pay a ton of money for someone great, or we're going to pay no money for, you know, whoever we've got, which is, basically bug and it, it sort of validates the the value of NFL football, right? Of live football. Like it doesn't actually matter who's calling the games. Yeah. Uh people are gonna watch them. Now if you have someone great, that's awesome, right? NBC has Alan Chris, CBS has Jim and Tony, and then Fox what? has you know Joe and, and Troy and they're all kind of their own unique spin on it. No one's actually watching those games just because of those guys. But it helps them put on a good face. And ESPN basically said, we're we're not going to pay a little extra to get a little bit better.
0: I didn't realize that being on first-name basis with one or two of the people automatically made you on first-name basis (laughs) with everybody else. But that was certainly a power move uh, there. You didn't even say Buck. You just called him Joe. I love it.
1: I just think this is really interesting because you, if you went back a couple of years and you said Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland are going to do Monday Night Football, I think a lot of people would be really su- very surprised with all of the efforts that I think at ESPN was tr- was doing to make Monday Night Football in that same category of prime time, which it sort of always had been. Um, but is that uh, true
0: though? Because I feel like, so I know our friend Mike, you know, Chirico, but I call him Mike because we got a good vibe. Um, <laughs> you know, he was on, but he was on with, on Monday Night Football with Tony Kornheiser. You right, know? Right. And, and Dennis Miller was, was with Al on Monday Night Football with Boomer Esiason who wanted to kill him the whole time. So, yep. <laughs> you know, we've had, we had Dick Stockton and Matt Millen.
1: But those were those were still like this that those didn't seem none of those were punting right like the Tony Kornheiser experiment the Dennis Miller experiment those were all progressive this isn't progressive at all this is just moving this is this is literally taking your baby when he gets. When he gets too big for the the high chair and moving him into a regular chair, that's literally all this is.
0: You're just you're just biased because you think that progression in football is moving more towards the passing game. Where, you know, who who are we? we Boog might be the progressive one, trying to get us to run the ball
1: more and stop the run more. All right, that's where you, that's where you've lost me. Anyways, <laughs> it's going to be great to see Boog in the. Um, in the booth. I wonder if uh, – here's a here's a good question. Will Boog – will Tess and Boog be in the booth when Daniel Jones makes his first start in 2022?
0: No. Okay. They'll be That's in it. a booth, but not Monday Night Football.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I just imagine Booger. It's the, like the year is 2022, opening week, Daniel Jones finally making a start. Because Eli died or something, and like Booger is suspended above the field in a hot air balloon at that point.
0: I yeah I, the problem with Booger is that he was he was not as Wait, dominant sing, singular. Well, no, because if you look at the NBA broadcast, the most brilliant part of it is is Chuck going after Shaq and vice versa. Both of sure. those men are Hall of Fame basketball players right, who but are they're both not even out of their game, out of their mind. Right, Boog yeah. just is like a was a pretty good three technique, and now <laughs> and he gets to like have that's the true. same stature as Shaq. I feel like I feel like if we if we could find like crazy old players, like like Jim Brown is too smart for this crap, you know. So right, like right. we just we just don't get blessed with it in in football. No, that's Alan Page funny. is a Supreme Court Justice in Minnesota. He's not doing this nonsense. <laughs>
1: that is a good point okay let's move on to things that actually matter somewhat on the field your we're going to talk about win totals and some of the things that happen in the draft that you should actually sort of pay attention to um but there is a non-draft related move that actually does impact some things and it just so happens to be your your chefs. um it doesn't look so good for the the future of Tyreek Hill or your Super Bowl hopes and well, dreams. yeah.
0: So the only so looking at a certain sports book, the only Super Bowl odds that changed after the draft were the Chiefs moving from plus seven fifty to plus eight hundred on the Tyreek Hill news. Now, it could have been because of the Frank Clark news or the fact that they didn't draft a corner for like the seventeenth straight year.
1: Or your ability it, to throw shade with in a subtle way, is really spectacular, by the way. But
0: in this way, I believe it was because of the Tyreek Hill news. No other, uh, in the, at that particular book, no other Super Bowl odds changed appreciably through the draft. And I think a lot of that is just that they're sort of like, you know, uh, inferring like Tyler be drafted first overall by the Cardinals, you know, and then every other quarterback besides him is really not going to move the needle much.
1: Right. No, I I think I don't think that they lost. um, They lost probability of winning a Super Bowl in the minds of Vegas because they picked up Frank Clark. I don't think anyone is quite as woke as that out there setting lines. Speaking of woke, is Tampa Bay woke? You just wow. You are really you don't want to talk about this, huh? I well, I think the Chiefs are in real trouble.
0: I don't disagree. I sent you our fantasy projections for their wide receiver group, and they are funny, to say the least. Um, but, yeah, I mean, listen, this is a cathartic part of my week, you know, getting to do this with you. Let's not let's not inject
1: negativity. Right. I mean, we're going to have to talk draft, and I'm not super stoked on the Niners draft, so we'll, we'll get there at some point. But th- this worries me from a betting standpoint. If you have Chiefs Super Bowl futures – like I'm not worried about Mahomes and Reed, but Tyreek Hill did a lot for that offense, um, and they can't particularly cover well, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, but you want to talk about Tampa Bay. You love Tampa Bay. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, so Tampa Bay, I think our article is either coming up t- today or tomorrow on their win total. We like their over six, six and a half. Um, but I look at their draft, I think to myself – they're like a classic example of like the question: Is this team woke? Right? Um, they go, <laughs> they go coverage linebacker at five, corner, uh-huh. corner safety, and then they come back over the top in round five with a kicker, right? So like they make four good decisions. They order everything fairly well. I think that the Devin White as a linebacker is a better value at the, you know. Then the like the way that the corner market shook out, they ended up with Jay, Sean Bunting, Jamel Dean, Mike Edwards in the secondary, and then they go and draft a kicker. After everything we know about kickers in the draft, uh, they go and get this gentleman Matt Gay at 145. So I, I like where Tampa Bay is heading. I think they're but then their draft is a classic example of oftentimes when we see teams that look like they have woken up to what it's really like to make good decisions in the NFL. We see that it's kind of a collection of randomly good decisions and randomly bad decisions.
1: I really would, would like to get inside the the minds of the Bucks decision makers to know, you know, like were they, were they saying they're like, look, we need to get coverage players or were they, you know, like there's so many permutations of, of random ideas that could have resulted in these draft picks. Like mm-hmm. what if they're sitting there and just like, you know, you know what we need, Bruce, we need big corners that can stop the run. Like, like that legit, or they could just be enamored with the fact that um, that Devin white is, is a physical beast and he's going to stop the run. Yeah. You know, they could be totally ignoring the value in these players. And I think the Devin white pick was really, you know it was high, obviously, but um, the, the corner market was not strong. So they leverage the ability to, to find coverage at another position that is valuable, and you know, we see what Bobby Wagner and Deion Jones can do for a team. So uh, it is funny, and I think we saw some examples of this elsewhere in the draft too. Um, the, the the Niners who. You know, are, are a forward-thinking organization. The way that they work with their um, salary cap is forward-thinking. Their analytics group is forward-thinking and has some really brilliant people on it. And and they're taking, you know, they're taking gadget players. They're taking punters.
0: The only way to, to guarantee yourself a starter in the fourth round is to draft a punter. Um <laughs> So let's recap a little bit because I, I know you know we have to basically be pretty short today given your travel schedule. But let's think about last week we had a PropBet Propet article that went 30 and1. It was on the back. It was on the back of a podcast. I went back and listened to our musings uh, about the PropBets and I would I, I will say, I think we only probably had maybe like half a pick wrong that entire time. We talked about Kyler Murray at one. We talked about the first defensive back drafted being the field. That was pretty cool. We we mentioned Washington as a dark horse as the first team to pick Dwayne Haskins plus nine hundred. We hammered the Josh Jacobs under twenty four and a half, and Mm -hmm. and one of our one of our strongest plays was Montez Sweat over seven and a half. and we saw that line move. I believe at the time that we recorded, it was minus 3.75, minus 400. I think it closed even even higher than that. We even talked about Drew Lock at 10 and a half being kind of like a, you know, kind of enticing, but ultimately told people not to pick it. So it was a pretty like, you know, after a season where we kind of struggled on against the spread picks, we got off to a fairly good start uh, in the 2019 calendar year.
1: Let me tell you this. I, I was nervous – got to be honest. I was nervous for the draft show because I wanted it to go off well. I would put a decent amount of work into trying to get that like portion before the draft to go off without a hitch. But I was more nervous by 10 <laughs> times, 10 times about that number one pick because as soon as Kyler Murray was picked, I had to check a couple of balances just to, just to get my, my heart rate going a little bit, get a little excited because I had invested very heavily in Kyler Murray going one to Arizona. And for that reason, I didn't really bet on any of the other ones, except for the the Josh Jacobs one was an absolute lock. Um, And then I actually ended up going with Drew Locke under ten and a half for like just a few pennies, because to me it made so much sense for the Broncos to take him. Of course, they ended up taking him. Uh, it just wasn't at ten. Yeah. Obviously, a couple of the other so, ones
0: we printed out were pretty good. Daniel Jones was the second quarterback taken. We printed that at plus 180. Uh, that one eighty. One of the great. ones that That's I told per- you, by the way, one of the ones that I personally liked was Quinn and Williams under three and a half draft position, which was plus one hundred five. And one that my friend Ben Brown and I got was Quinnen Williams exactly pick three at plus two hundred, which I, I think closed. <laughs> At, like, plus 115 or plus 105 or something like that. So those were good ones. Over one running back select in the first round was plus 350 at one point during the week and then closed at about plus 200, plus 250. That one, we said, was a free roll, basically, because there was no way the Raiders were going to let Josh Jacobs go off the board at 24 and a half. So... Uh, ultimately that one didn't cash, but, uh, you know, we made a bet on the irrationality of the league and I think we'd do it, uh, in a heartbeat again, if we had the opportunity.
1: I, I want to say that I wasn't surprised by the Cleveland Farrell pick at four. I was expecting utter stupidity throughout throughout the draft, but, uh, I was surprised. I was legitimately very surprised, but they think he's basically Nick Bosa. So that'll be fun. That'll be good to watch. Um, let's, let's talk favorite picks. We'll get in. I want to ask you what your least favorite picks were, um, in a second and, and, and more about how you would actually grade whether a team made a good draft or not. Um, but let's talk, let's be positive first. Your favorite picks. What were they?
0: Uh, I like Dwayne Haskins to the Redskins. Um, just because maybe it's just because they like anchored me a little bit, making me think that they were going to trade up. Uh, and ultimately got Haskins with just the 15th pick. Now they traded back uh, back into the first round later, but I liked that one. Um, I liked uh, the Rockysin to the Colts. I think that that team, I wrote an article on ProFootballFocus.com yesterday about how I think the Colts are a front runner to be sort of the next uh, you know AFC powerhouse team. I like that. and of course, my guy, Dalton Reisner to the Broncos at 41 a pick
1: before uh, Drew Locke. We, someone pointed this out, by the way, that you and I were would bring up Dalton Reisner at, at many <laughs> points over the course of the draft. You better show. be good. <laughs> no kidding. Um, I'm with you on the Colts thing. Uh, it's, it's really funny. To me, I think there's some sort of, in the back of your mind, you're taking the Colts as your team so that you won't be disappointed when they beat the Chiefs.
0: <laughs> right, that could be like an emotional hedge. So yeah, exactly. the, the hard part with you know, because it's not entirely independent of that take. You know, the Chiefs had Dorsey, Ballard, and Veach all on the same front office, and they right. got rid of Dorsey almost immediately after uh, uh, Ballard went to the Colts, and they are stuck now with Veach, who has only trade. He's never traded back, I don't think, so far in the draft trading trading up for such uh, specimens as Breland speaks. Uh, so far, so uh, and me, Cole Hardman. Now, um, so it'll be interesting to see the juxtaposition of those two uh, men as they as they move their
1: teams forward into the future. Brashad Breland speaks your Kansas City Chiefs coverage unit. Very excited about it. All right, my favorite picks: um, Daniel Jones, uh, certainly at the t- uh, Mental top of my list. Yeah, just uh, I didn't even have to watch three series. But- I.
0: Um, by the way, a, a podcast on 538, their Hot Takedown, has a, did a pretty cool job of, of talking about Daniel Jones, and they referenced our NFL throws research, which was kind of cool. So once you're done with the forecast, go to 538 and listen to that. Pretty
1: cool uh, use I, I, of our work. They, they do great stuff over there. Good friends of, uh, of the podcast. I only mentioned Daniel Jones because I hated that pick, but... I really liked a lot of the other picks that the Giants made, yes. so I, so I have to mention the Daniel Jones pick as like i can 't believe they did that, but if you are going to absolutely make an asinine choice at any position, at least you have to be selecting a quarterback like that at the very least so whereas the Raiders just decided to punt on absolutely everything, at least there 's a sliver of a chance that this pick could help the franchise. Now, that being said, not bullish at all, but I wanted to mention that. Picks that I actually really liked. Thought Byron Murphy uh at this in the second round of the Cardinals, that might have been my favorite of the earlier picks um in the draft. I thought that was a tremendous value uh for the Cardinals. Just pairing that the combination of Murray and, and Murphy to me was the strongest 1-2 in the draft, and you should have that because you have the first pick, but as we've seen, that's not trivial. Nasir Adderley to the Chargers. I think he went 60th. I thought that was an absolute theft. They did a really nice job with Tillery in the first as well. Um, some of the later picks that were my favorites, Will Greer to the Panthers. Uh, I think that's kind of sneaky. Finovich um, to, uh, to the Patriots, I'm sure. I have no doubt that he's going to play there for like 12 years. and be awesome. Um, and then a couple of cornerbacks, I thought the Rams taking David long when they have cornerbacks already was very smart. And he's a guy that we really liked Played amazingly at Michigan and then greedy Williams, uh, whether or not he had some character issues or whatnot, the, the man can play football and maybe he fell because of tackling ability, in which case that is absolutely hilarious. So, um, those are my favorites. I know I have a longer list than you, but. So oh, that's um, I got carried away.
0: I think I think Arizona draft will be a nice uh, audit of PFF, right? Because we, right. It, it, I think there's you know people in the industry that certainly think that the Arizona Cardinals botched the draft. Um, but from our perspective, Hakeem Butler, you know Andy Isabella, Byron Murphy. Uh, and and Kyler Murray just in in those picks alone, uh, you're going to get I think a, a really change in complexion in that team and and you know if our grades are worth as much as we think they are, uh, that team's going to improve and I think improve relatively quickly. You talked about greedy Williams. I think it was interesting because he was I liked the pick and I think Cleveland, uh, you know Cleveland's going to be a hard team not to not to like in the future. Indianapolis, though, as you talk about them again, they traded that the greedy Williams pick as a part of a, a few trades, right? So Indy mm-hmm. traded out of the first round with Washington. Washington picked Montez Sweat at twenty-six. Indianapolis got a twenty-twenty second-round pick from Washington, which, given Washington's roster, can be like the thirty-third pick in the draft, right? And yep. and then they eventually traded that pick again. Uh, you know that they picked they got forty six from Washington they traded that to Cleveland for greedy Williams. They ended up getting forty nine and one forty four back from Cleveland. those two picks the the one with Washington was a fifty four percent win uh, for Indianapolis. The one with uh, Cleveland was a fifty two percent win for Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. That is like sort of the incremental edges. Um, that that Bill Belichick has been hitting for all these years and we're seeing a team uh, in Indianapolis consistently doing that so you know we both like players certainly but for me this is like my favorite part of the draft which is seeing some of the teams just act very
1: intelligently. Well that gets to something that I wanted to talk about which is if you if I said hey Eric like go grade the drafts where how are you how would you do that because I have a couple of thoughts on i think a lot of the ways people do it are, are wrong so what w- were, would be some of the things that you would put kind of first on your list first second third on your list as far as grading how well teams did
0: yeah because we're getting a lot of this with like and not to bring up the chiefs again but the frank clark thing right like oh right. who's going to be there at 29 well, it's like well it's not just 29 right it's 29 and a and the money so, for me, like I think all of that has to go in you have to have basically a projected war for the team. you have to have a, a war per draft position for every draft position. um you have to have like what would be in place of that player at that spot so that, and it's so it's not a trivial question in that like you know if the if the twenty seventh overall pick is always you know is worth a certain amount of war. Um, but you take a center there because your team is depleted there. A center's wins above replacement is not going to be as high as the quarterback who's taken at 28 on average, right? So you, you it's a really tricky problem, but I do think, you know, you basically do. You can't just look at a list and be like, oh, I like all those players, so it's an A, right? You have to look uh, at what right. was given up in those spots. like. You know, with with Philadelphia, like, you know, we think the Eagles are pretty smart. Andre Dillard's a great pick, but they did have to give it. He's more than one draft pick, right? So he has to basically be worth more than one draft pick uh, relative to those positions to be worth that trade. So all of those things have to factor in. And I think, like, mainstream draft folks ultimately don't bake those into their grades.
1: Yeah. No, they are very much player driven. And I think. If there's anything that we've learned, it's that the draft and your ability to intuitively, you know, whatever, whatever GMs are using to pick players is not a very good system. And it's pretty much random, you know, whether that player works out. So a lot of what you have to base the grade on is what did you do from a positional value standpoint? And what did you do from a draft pick accumulation standpoint, or draft pick value standpoint? In other words, you have to view the trades down. If I don't like the two players that the Colts got, in, you know, as a result of their trades, or two of the players that they got in the result of those trades, you can find five other people that love them. So it, that speaks to the volatility in the in projecting players. So yeah, we need to get better at projecting players. But I think a much bigger part of the grades that you give out to teams and you can grade teams that that's it it is false that you should not be able to grade teams drafts you absolutely should be able to but a bigger percentage of it needs to be you know what they did with their picks to accumulate more value something that obviously we're working on but i think it's an interesting conversation to have i want to get to my favorite pick in a second but i think this will lead into it nicely what is your what are your least favorite picks of the draft?
0: Well, I think Cleveland Farrell is clearly the one, right? I mean, when you're Oakland, you came into the draft with a with a clear opportunity to build your team um and instead of getting three first-round picks, you probably got half of one, right? And so um that's that's really tough to stomach. We talked about this on the draft show um but it's not just about getting good players or getting your guys, right? And and the flip side of this is exactly what you just talked about. It's also not about like you know, if you don't like Rakia Sin at, you know, when the Colts picked him, you also, like, you have to, like, grade him on a curve because he's worth, like, point seven of a draft pick, right? Because the, the, the Colts traded back, right, to to get him. And so, like, whereas, you know, Cleland Farrell, you know, you can like him all you want, but he's being graded relative to fourth overall picks. And so even if he does really well, like, it's still not necessarily a great pick uh, for Oakland, so that was my least favorite one. Um, honestly, I didn't like the Vikings drafting Garrett Bradbury what they did. I thought the draft, um, you know, fell perfectly for them at 18 to either take a tackle, uh, address some of the the age concerns in their secondary, or which is big when you have Kirk cousins as your quarterback eating up that much salary trade back and accumulate young players, accumulate assets to the future. I also didn't like the Vikings trading constantly for seventh round picks. It seems like the sharp thing <laughs> to be doing is to be trading for twenty twenty fifth fifth round picks and not current seventh round picks. But, um, so there is a limitation to the trade down ethos that we've built. So those are my, kind of my like annoying annoyances that I had at the draft.
1: You, you had a lot of them. Uh, I have a list here. Cleveland Farrell obviously is up there. Josh Jacobs, asinine decision for a team that's terrible. Love Josh Jacobs. Hate the choice of running back in that spot. TJ Hawkinson, eight. <laughs> Rashawn Gary at 12. <laughs> um, any Anyone that is an athletic freak who failed to produce on the field, that is a red flag, by the way. that's not That's not a good thing. That's not a sign of things to come that you haven't seen. That's a red flag. I liked the Steelers taking Devin Bush, but I hated having to trade up to that spot. So that would have been in my favorite picks, I think, but um, it does not make it there. I actually thought Deontay Johnson was one I wanted to mention in, in one of my favorite picks uh, before. And then um, I thought I had one more, but we'll, we'll cut it there. I, I just think there are certain positional value picks that are that are really poor. And the Cleveland Farrell thing is not it, – it's all – part of your – the success of your draft is – Doing a good job of reading the market. And the Cleveland Farrell pick is a perfect example of just having no clue what the market is saying. It, it, it seems like John Gruden and, and Mike Mayock may have thrown the scouts out, but also like cut the Wi Fi as well, because <laughs> you've got, you've got, you could love Cleveland Farrell. He could be your favorite guy. Um, you just have to be more cognizant of value out there. And, oh, the other one I didn't like really was Noah Fant, um, yeah. the Denver Broncos. at A tight end. In in the first round, to me, is is a is a real curiosity. Well, and I heard um, somebody
0: I heard somebody float the idea that Mayock, if had Mayock been in the in the draft media community, we would have all thought more of Cleveland Farrell, and hence it would have been a value it for. But then stop. that Just de- stop. but no that defe- completely defeats the purpose of having Mayock at buying Mayock's privilege, right? Because if yes. you actually thought he was the fourth best player in the draft, you buy Mayock as your GM, you can get him at 25. Like, that's worth a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you completely that's, dump all that information. Um, it just yeah, was really that's, funny. That's
1: hilarious. But this, is my, this brings me to my favorite trade, because this trade was a a feat of pure strength and will. The Raiders traded down uh, in the draft, which, on the face of it, seems smart. They traded down with the Jaguars. The Jaguars picked up 38, 140, and 235. The Raiders moved back three spots to 38 and picked up 109. The Raiders managed to <laughs> trade down and lose value. And that, my friends, is that, is <laughs> that, that is, that's is great. Heart. That is grit That is in the face of mathematics, pushing forward and doing things that we didn't think could be done. So uh, I had to bring that one up. By the way, this is no way taking me off of John Gruden is a master. Uh, the Raiders will still improve this year because that's, um, I need them to, they can't not, (laughs) they they literally can't not. That's the beautiful thing. All these teams can't not based on the fact that they just added players. All right, let's speed through the, uh, the Packers here. Um, we I talked about Sean Gary for a second so I think maybe um we spend a little less time on on their draft picks and a little bit more on what was last year and what like how that projects forward this year because it doesn't seem to me at least like people are in any way backing off the Packers because last year was unsuccessful.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because it was a good like kind of litmus test for you know priors, and even though you do regress things to the mean a little bit, like just because a new quarterback comes back doesn't mean the team's going to be immediately brilliant. So uh, their over/under a season ago it was 10, 10 and a half wins. We projected them about 9, uh, 7.9. So the the under would have hit there. Now we didn't print it or anything, but um, we were three and two picking Green Bay games. Both losses were of the ilk where. The Packers were down 10 and in the red zone in the fourth quarter and stalled out. And instead of uh, going for it, kicked a field goal and lost by a touchdown. We had them plus six in Chicago, plus three and a half on Sunday Night Football. Remember, Devonte Adams dropped uh, a touchdown from uh, Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, an interesting. I think we're you know an interesting season with them. We didn't quite get the best gauge on them. We got lucky in all three of the wins we had with them um so uh, just an interesting uh, year the most valuable players i think offer some help for the future kenny clark for example is just turning 23 right now he was the third most valuable player a season ago former first round pick just picked up his fifth year option jair alexander was a sixth uh, most valuable player first rounder a season ago and then of course Rodgers, devontae adams uh, David Bakhtiari. So some some reasons for for optimism for them, um, and you know they they've done a pretty good job uh, in free agency. They picked up Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith worth about a half a win between those two a season ago. Adrian Amos worth about half a win himself. Um, so there is some uh, cause for optimism in Green Bay. Um, I think that that division is far more uniform in you know probability to win the division than people think, but. Uh, ultimately like they have a tough schedule ahead of them with Minnesota and Chicago and possibly Detroit emerging
1: over under of ten and a half wins. That seems high to me. And um, by our simulation would be high as well. There's always the worry because they have such a high end quarterback that can always sort of push you over the top. And of course you, you they brought in all those players that can play coverage and you're like, well, if they can just sort of, Put a couple of things together, but I'm not nearly as optimistic about the young coach thing working out for them. It didn't really do much in in um, uh, Tennessee, so I think the under might be one of my my favorite um, yeah. bets come come the start of the regular season. I thought it was hilarious that Sean Kaiser managed to be uh, <laughs> least valuable player for the team given the amount that he played. Um I LaFleur will be very interesting because it will see how much you know weight his word really carried in in Tennessee we'll see how much things actually do sort of change um anything else that you found really interesting I thought the Jay Sternberger pick was nice it's a reason why you don't take Noah Fant in the first round in my opinion um but any other things about the Packers before we talk about Aaron Rodgers
0: yeah Elgin Jenkins was a good player in our projections I liked him as a second round pick now it's interesting it depends upon the book you look at they on on certain ones are nine and a half some of them are even down to nine uh, really? for their win total um, we would still probably think about the under there only because yeah. of uncertainty but here's the th- here's the kicker I think if you are a Green Bay backer you're going to look at their strength of schedule. They're 19th in, a, in opponents' PFF Elo, um, but they are second in opposing defense. Now that's because of Chicago and Minnesota are four, you know, 25 percent of their schedule. Um, right. But we, you know, we are banking on some sort of regression from those two. So if you're a Green Bay backer, um, I think the schedule is favorable to them because defense regresses, and you might get some market correction there. Um, but not no, a Green
1: Bay Packer,
0: Green Bay backer, a Green Bay backer. That's for sure. So let's talk Rogers because he's been an interesting. He's been an interesting uh, uh, sort of. I wouldn't say thorn in our side in terms of grading, um, but certainly somebody who has puzzled us because he doesn't do a lot of things that get downgraded. Um, but he also that offense was only 15th a season ago uh, in EPA per passing play.
1: It, he's fascinating, and to me, this season will be this may be his most important season. He's finally away from Mike McCarthy, and to, there was a certain amount of FU in the way he played last year that made me think maybe it's implicit, maybe it's explicit, but he is doing he is doing some things to sort of kick Mike McCarthy's butt out the door. The highest uh, average number of throwaways, uh, almost three per game, um, which is absolutely absurd. Uh, the two times that he's won MVP, he's been less than one. Yep. Um, and uh, so, I, I'm sorry, th- let me read this more correctly. At, relative to the average um, league rate, he was throw, throwing the ball away 2.8 times more often than the average quarterback. But, uh, but it, it gets the point across where he was like, there's no way that I'm going to take chances to damage my stats. You know, I'm not throwing in any interceptions to risk putting this team over the top for for Mike McCarthy. And there were some really peculiar things um, about kind of some of the data points that we expect him to be great in. Um, He was just 25th out of 35 in limiting uncatchable throws. This one really stuck out to me. He was 14th in grade from a clean pocket, second under pressure. Now, we know under-pressure play is really unstable, but what this says to me is I'm even if the situation is good, like I'm not taking any chances, right? I'm, I'm going to throw the ball away from a clean pocket if I have to. If I'm under pressure, I'll still think about being brilliant here and there because I want people to remember I'm Aaron Rodgers. It was such a weird season. I'm almost yeah. completely writing it off.
0: Yeah, psychologically for me, right, like I think about this and it's like you're kind of playing with fire, right? because if you, like, take a year off of trying, like, hard, right? And then, like, it's hard to say that about Rodgers because he, like, kind of tore up his knee in week one and came back and played, right? Right. Um, but if you take, like, a year or so off of really being engaged, which is kind of what I'm thinking about, then when you come back, you still have your fastball. That's always a bet mm-hmm. you're making, right? And, and then, you know, so if, if the answer to that is yes... And Lafleur is better than the 25th of 32 offensive play callers we saw last year. Then I think that this team could be pretty good. Um, if if it's not right, if Rodgers legitimately has you know goes down as a you know in terms of a talent. I don't necessarily see the perseverance in he, that that, uh, that we've seen in sort of a lot of players, uh, at, you know, his, his age or older um, after sort of like they get perturbations to their team. You saw it with Brady. Brady's passer rating was 87 in 2013 right mm-hmm. like that you're a bum in the NFL that's your passer rating and he emerged and and rebuilt himself remade himself uh and has won three super bowls since then um you know we've seen we've seen other reclamations you know Aaron, uh, Drew Brees went 7 and 9 three consecutive years so on and so forth the question's going to be is Aaron Rodgers able to after two consecutive losing seasons to come back your new coach uh, the receiver position is not all that much better than it was last year, um, right. and the offensive line isn't as brilliant as it was in 16 and 17. So um, is he is he able to reclimate, uh, recapture that edge?
1: Yeah, just a couple more data points to sort of speak to the he took a year off type field. <laughs> 47 throwaways most ever since we started charting in, in 2006. This is something that I often look at to see, like, how efficient are quarterbacks or how often are quarterbacks giving themselves a chance to be efficient. So it's the percentage of dropbacks where you actually target a receiver. The last two seasons was the first time that Rogers fell below 80% of his dropbacks resulting in a targeted attempt career low at 76 last year. And his running was at a career low too. So it wasn't like he was all of a sudden making up for that um, while running. And he threw the ball outside the numbers. This one gets talked about a lot. 64% of his, his throws outside the numbers, which is by far the the highest rate for him. He was in the low 50s, um, high 40s for the, the most of his career. So it, it was just a super weird season for Aaron Rodgers. And people are going to jump right back on the horse, right? There's no doubt about it that he's earned the leeway that he's going to get here. And I, I can't, I'm not going to bet against him. Are you, you? I mean, are you actually like, super confident that he can't take his team over the top no No and
0: and that's why even though our numbers you know said one thing a season ago i don't think either one of us was like sort of rushing to 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 bet that side right i mean it it was it it wasn't something that we were super you know invested in and and frankly we didn't pick a ton of green bay games and when we did we backed them uh more often than we didn't so um you know, I, I think we're on the same page there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Again, it'll probably be another audit of our grade system. I think, like, you know, we, the, the famous Aaron Rodgers game where he didn't grade that well against the Chiefs, despite having, uh, you know, a great stat line, you know, preceded a pretty much 16-game stretch of him not actually playing well. Um, will this, you know, collection of plays where he graded okay, but his offense didn't do particularly well, precede an emergence for him in the future?
1: Yeah, it'll be a very, very interesting season. That whole division is going to be interesting. I'm excited when we, for when we actually do the, the uh, look ahead for that division because I think it's a really fascinating one, with your Vikings, my Bears, the Packers, and the Lions. It should be pretty interesting. I'm going to hop on a plane. I'm coming back to see you, man. I, I just missed you too much. I had to, had to make my way back. Um, it means a lot anything for you man uh, we will not be doing a special Kentucky Derby podcast but I hope everyone enjoys uh, the Derby make sure you check out our first locks of the summer win totals article uh, that should be out relatively soon uh, probably by the time you're listening to this and uh, shoot Eric some Twitter questions peace out